All right, well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and uh, excited to jump back into uh, Romans. One announcement that I totally forgot to make is that uh, it is like Easter, Easter week here, um, and so we have a Good Friday service coming up, uh, as well as Easter. Uh, so just a, just a heads up, so on, on Good Friday, uh, we're going to be doing a... Uh, uh, joint service, if you will, uh, Hope Community Church downtown will be hosting. So it's going to be on Friday, and I totally forgot to write down the times. I want to say it's 6 and 8 o'clock. Um, okay, I've got to see a couple hot net head nods uh, going, so that's what I'm going to go with. 6 and 8, so it's going to be at Hope Community Church downtown. We'll be uh, doing that there. Um, and then uh, Easter will just be as normal uh, here on Easter morning. Um, yeah, just to give you a heads up. So that's that. And then next week is also supposed to be my first week uh, chaplaining uh, this season with the Saints, which is great. But it's like Easter, really? We got to, I guess we play baseball on Easter. I guess we can do that. Um, anyway, so uh, anyways, just want to give you a heads up. That, oh, the whole point of it, <laughs> the whole point of me forgetting to make that announcement was I could use a couple of readers from, from Lower Town. Um, so in the email, I've been saying that, because we just, just got to read some scripture, that's all you got to do, just read the Bible. Um, and so if you can, you can read, uh, you're qualified. Uh, and it, but it was going to be for both services, and so maybe that was just too much. So if I could get someone to volunteer to read for the 6 o'clock, and then maybe somebody else or another family to read for the 8 o'clock, that would be great. If not, it's just going to be me doing it, and nobody wants to hear me talk more than I have to. So that's that. All right. Romans. Uh, we are in this series. This is week 12. Uh, so if you're new to, to Hope, uh, then you're, you're 11 weeks behind. That's okay. I'll give a quick recap. Uh, but I'm not going to spend, obviously, all the time and all the things and um, yeah, look, at, look at 11 weeks worth of, of study. But we're going to be in this book for a year and a half-ish. And so we're just getting started. We're just getting started in, in chapter two. So you're not too far behind. Uh, so Romans chapter one uh, just starts off with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's this wild conversion story. He's a persecutor of Christians. Uh, he, he is saved by Jesus Christ. He starts off with, I am a servant or I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. And, and I'm called to be an apostle. That is one who has been sent out by Jesus himself, seen the risen Lord to go out and to, and to plant churches set apart for the gospel of God. And, and, and what Paul is gonna do, unlike Peter, uh, Peter is called to be a, a witness and a, and a preacher to, to the Jews. And then you see a lot of Jewish people come to faith under the teaching and preaching of Peter, whereas Paul is called to be a servant and a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles, which gets really confusing with where we've been in the book of Romans because where we're at in the book of Romans, he's calling out Jewish Christians or Jews that maybe are going to this New Testament church in, in Rome. And so again, this kind of big question of Romans. What's the main point, the big overarching question? Again, the popular question is, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? It's a great question. I say that every single week. I think the last 12 weeks, I've said that's a really good question. Everyone needs to wrestle with that question. That's not Paul's question. Paul's question is the opposite of that, if you can have an opposite of that, is how can a just God allow anyone into heaven? If he really is good and just and pure and holy, how could he ever allow any sinful human being ever in his presence? It doesn't make any sense. How is this possible? Including, and where he's going to be getting at in today's text, including God's chosen people, including the Israelites. What's going on there? And then this is a, an image that I've been using for quite a while, even just before Romans. But this is a, an image from 
Grasping God's Word, Scott Duvall's book, uh, Grasping God's Word. And it's just a simple image of showing uh, these five simple points. Number one, grasp the text in their town. Uh, meaning what happens, we open our Bible and we immediately want to jump to application land. We, we open the Bible and we go, what's this mean to me? Hey, what's, what's this person? What really stands out to you about this passage? There's a time and a place for that. Not here. Okay, we got we to do our homework first. We got to grasp the text in their town. What did it mean to the original hearers of this text? And then we gauge the width of the river, uh, culture, language, time, situation. And again, our river is going to be very narrow at this point, that this book is written to uh, first century church, yes, but this side of the cross. It's a New Testament church, just like us. It was started by people who loved Jesus. It was started by people who didn't, have never seen Jesus, who have never witnessed the miracles, just like us. And so it's a very narrow river. And then we cross the principalizing bridge. What was the main principle that was being taught uh, to these individuals? What can we do? And then number four, consult the biblical roadmap. Is there anywhere else in the Bible that this text or these truths of this passage have flourished or we can read about? And then, then fine, finally, in, in the fifth point, can we grasp the text in our town? So let me just read the text that we've been at the past two weeks uh, because it's going to help us uh, get into where we're at with our text. So where have we been? says, therefore, you have no excuse. Again, the you is going to be Jewish individuals who are trusting in their heritage to be in. If I'm in this covenant community, not because of anything I've done, not because I'm a good person. Uh, I'm a good person because I'm a son of Abraham, because I am an Israelite. I'm, I'm Jewish. And he's changing his pronouns because the first chapter, it was always they, them, speaking of the Gentiles. And now it's you, right? Let me turn. Like, you see how bad the Gentiles are? Okay, now let's turn the page. Because it's the religious individuals, the religious people who are going to look at people over there and go, oh, they're bad, they're sinners, not me. And Paul's going to say, oh, no, 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 this is, this is everybody. So he says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Are you saying you think you're so high and mighty and righteous by judging other people? You are judged by the same standard and we all fall short. Or do you presume in the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul, one of our elders uh, here, spoke on that two weeks ago. And then last week I hit on this text, verse five, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when the God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey uh, unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does the good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Again, I gave the illustration of reading these verses of riding a bike. 
When you ride a bike, right, you can't just stop, right? You gotta, you gotta keep moving. You gotta keep that forward momentum going to be able to maintain balance. And if we stop and we zoom in on any one of these phrases or words or, or verses too much, we're gonna tip over and we're gonna miss the point of what Paul's entire text is. And Paul's point here isn't like, hey, if you just do a really good job, you're in. His whole point is no one is gonna do a good job. Nobody is. And that's gonna be made very evident uh, this week in this passage, which is just the, the next verse that's coming right after this. So this week's sermon, uh, titled A Twist in the Storyline, Romans chapter two, looking at verses 12 through 16. I know I've asked this question before, but I'm always, it's always kind of fun to think about this. Uh, what is a, a book or a movie uh, or something, just life in general, <laughs> that has uh, just had the biggest twist that you can think of, right? What, what are some, something, did anything come to mind from anybody? There's always the big ones that everyone, what? I thought I heard something. Sixth Sense, right? That's a big one for sure. I see dead people. What's that? Oh. Fight Club, sure. Fight Club, he's, he, he sees dead people too, I guess. No, different. Uh, let me tell you what I think is the biggest twist that I've ever come across, um, Oliver Twist. Hey. See, now you didn't see that coming, did you? You didn't see that coming. Uh, I actually have never read it. I, I actually started to read the, uh, the plot, like the cliff notes this week, and I was like, wow, this actually seems like a good book. I might need to read this sometime. I've never, never read it. Here's, what I, here's the whole point of this. When you, when you watch a good movie or you read a good book, right, where you have this, you know, the whodunits, right? Oh, wow, this, this thing. What are the new ones? The Glass, the glass Onion or the, the Knives Out, right? Those movies, right? Where you've got this like aha moment, right? One of the first things that we want to do when these aha moments happen is we want to go back and rewatch it if it was a good enough movie, right? The Sixth Sense was one of those. We were like, what? He was dead the whole time. And you go back and you watch it again to see, does it work? Is he actually dead though? Does he actually not ever talk to anybody except the kid? No, he doesn't. And it's like, oh yeah, he got shot right at the beginning of the movie. How did we not think this guy was, was dead? We just thought his wife and he had a bad relationship. That made more sense than he was dead, uh, right? We just didn't pick up on the clues, right? And so that, that's what's happening in, in, in this text that when we read the Bible, especially the Jewish individuals, right? We want to grasp the text in their town as we're reading the Bible. And then all of a sudden we get to Jesus and there's this huge plot twist that now it's not just for the ethnic Jews or the, the Israelites, it's for all people. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Now that I know Jesus and I know the end of the story, I got to go back and I got to see if this works. And so that's what we're going to be doing a little bit this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're able, stand and read today's text uh, with me. This is, don't read it out loud. I'll read it out loud. You don't need to do that. Uh, but I'll read this text. Romans chapter two, verses 12 through 16 says this. For all who, sorry, time out. I was just going to read it out loud, but again, just set it up, right? Stay on the bike, okay? He's like, you got you to do good works, because if you do good works, you're in. If you don't, you do bad works, you're out. And he's like, but it doesn't work that way. No one does, no one does this right even those who have the law, okay? So here we go, verse 12. For those who have sinned without the law, Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, Jews, everybody. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law is written on their hearts. And while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, before we get into the text, let me, let me jump back. And I know, again, if you've been coming to Lower Town for a while, uh, this is probably something you've heard before, and yet this is something I need to be reminded of all the time. Okay, so, so we're not, you know, unpacking something wild and new right here, uh, but this is, this is incredibly important. And one of my jobs as your pastor is the way I teach and preach is to help you understand how do we read our Bible? That when I'm just opening it up in the morning or whatever it is, whenever a time I, I happen to open my Bible, how do I read it? I want you to read it the right way. And not that I have all the answers like, hey, do it, do it my way, right? That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say. Again, just like any book or movie with a plot twist, we know how the story ends. We know how this ends. Jesus wins. So let's go back, right? And let's see if it all works out. And then again, the phrase that we've been using here is that we read our Bibles left to right. We're gonna read it chronologically left to right. But when I only read it left to right, um, I, I, I'm gonna miss things in the Old Testament that are screaming, this is about Jesus. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, Old Testament, the prophets, everyone, Moses and the prophets, they, it's all about me. They all testify about me, right? That's the plot twist. Wait, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you're, you're everywhere. So I gotta go back and reread it to see if this works, right? To see if I still see dead people in, in this text. So I read it left to right, but I interpret it right to left. Now I know the end of the story. I now have a lens that I can read the rest of it with. So how do we read our Bibles? Again, this, is, uh, this was another one of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies, uh, The Village, right? I, I didn't want to do The Sixth Sense because it's just overused. Uh, so this was The Village, kind of similar thing uh, where you have someone, an individual who's uh, blind and then, and then they're, they're, they're having to go get some medicine because they're in this village. That's why it's called The Village, uh, right? And you've got this monster in the whole movie. You're like, there's some crazy weird pig monster chasing everybody down. And then you realize at the end, uh, uh, again, this movie's been out for like 25 years, so um, spoiler alert, it's just people in costumes, right? It's just, it's just the village leaders keeping the, the youths uh, in, in, in check, right? And so you go back and then you had this aha moment, you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go back, right? So I, again, I've already, I've already said that, but it changes how we watch the movie, it changes how we read the book, and it's the same with Jesus, the apostle Paul. When he comes, when his conversion started, he goes from Saul to Paul, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem to kill Christians, and Jesus shows up and he blinds him, and then for three days it says he's in, he sits in darkness, and I think that, in, again, reading between the lines of the text, I think that he's going, he knows the story. He's got the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized, and I think he's going back in his mind going, whoa, 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 Wait, all of this was about him? I gotta go back. I gotta rewatch the movie to see if this, if this works. Because it says after, he, after three days, he goes into Jerusalem and he immediately starts preaching Jesus Christ crucified in the synagogues. He gets the story. He sees the fullness of the picture. And it changes how he reads the Old Testament. So we need to do the same exact thing when we read the Bible. So again, in this text, all have sinned, and this is the major twist. Again, Paul is addressing here Jews who think their heritage is good enough, who their great, 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 great grandfather was in Abraham. 
Uh, and, and why would they think that way, right? So I want to get into why would they think that they're okay? Why would they think just by their ethnicity that they're in? Again, verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Those are Gentiles. Those are other nations who were not given the direct law, the law of Moses, the words of God, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And everyone who is under the law falls short of the law, doesn't do it right. Everyone's guilty. So how can God treat the two groups the same, right? Doesn't God have a covenant with this nation? How doesn't God say, you're gonna be my people, I will be your God and you will be my people, I will dwell with you and, and all, right? I'm gonna make a promise, you're gonna have descendants, you're gonna have this land, you're gonna have this kingdom, all these different things. Doesn't God make these promises to them? Aren't they good, aren't they in? Because they're Israelites. All right, this, uh, again, Paul is saying uh, that God is gonna punish both the Jews and the Gentiles impartially. He uses that word two times in the previous verses, Jew and Gentile. They're, 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 it's, he's impartial to them. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter if you've been given the law or haven't been given the law. We're all guilty. But he seems to be ignoring one crucial point. Again, the fact that they're Jews. Paul, what are you talking about? They're, they're the chosen ones. They have the covenants with God. Right? That God chose them out of all the other nations, right? Isn't that how, we, how this works? Again, how are the Israelites reading the story, right? And, 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 that, and we'll read the text here and a couple Old Testament passages here. Were they wrong for thinking that the Israelites, the Hebrews, to be Jewish was the lifeboat? They were the life raft. And in order to be in, you had to join the covenant people of God, right? They're on the one life raft that's gonna save all of humanity. You must be part of God's chosen people. And so if you want to be part of that group, you gotta become Jewish, you gotta become a Hebrew. Now, were they wrong for reading it that way? Again, they have limited knowledge. They're reading through the book the first time. They're watching The Sixth Sense or The Village the first time. All right, they're, they're limited in that. Track with me on this. I had to draw my own diagram to make sure I could explain this right when I was doing this. I googled uh, barrels floating down a river and I forgot in The Hobbit, uh, this is the original artwork from Tolkien of barrels floating down the river. And I was like, oh sure, we'll use that one. Imagine, forget there's hobbits in the barrels. That has nothing to do with this analogy, okay? Just totally forget that. Imagine though, you're, you're, you, you live on that shore there and every once in a while, right, once a week, you see barrels floating down the river. Right? Your assumption would be barrels float down this river. Right? That, that would be the logical conclusion. And you might think, oh, maybe there are just people up, up, up the stream who are just making barrels and throwing them into the river. Right? Whatever, you, you don't know. But this is all you have. This is all the information that you're given. But then, when we get then to the New Testament and we get the full story, we see how it ends. Right? And I spent all of 45 seconds making this graphic, okay? Uh, that you've got this river that's got two streams, right? And you've got all, the majority of the barrels and the information, the law, and God revealing who he is to the Israelites. But then upstream, you've got a boat. I tried to do the PNG thing where it's clear. Uh, isn't that what it's called, PNG? And I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So it, whatever, it's got the checkerboard behind it. Right? So I, try, I tried to be fancy, but it didn't work. I turned one of the barrels 90 degrees, so that's cool. Uh, but, so upstream... 
you've got, you've got the real answer. There's a, there's a boat, right, that's throwing the, 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 the stuff. And every once in a while, one of these barrels might make its way down the other stream to all the other nations and the Gentiles, but this is God's chosen. There's, there's a bigger story. And once we understand that, then we can understand. So what, what are the Israelites observing downstream? What are the barrels that they're seeing? Because they're not like crazy for thinking this, that they're the life raft of all people. When we get to Exodus chapter 12, the second book of our Bible, it says, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and keep the Passover to the Lord, let, which is Passover week right now, let his males be circumcised that they may come near and keep it. And he shall be a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. What's happening here? What's up with this? Circumcision was, used to be, a sign of the covenant that if I want to be part of the nation of Israel, if I want to be in the lifeboat, I need to look and act the part even to a physical demarcation of my body to designate I'm part of this covenant community of God. That's who I am. I'm part of this. I'm in this ship now. And if I don't do that, if I don't obey their rules and their laws, then I'm out. I don't get to be part of that ship, right? So, so the Israelites are going, okay, if they want to even eat the Passover meal, remember the promise of God and, and how he set his people free from Egypt, if they want to do that, they need to become Jewish. They need to become Israelites. Even if they're not ethnically Jewish or Hebrew, they, they can still get in the boat. They, they need to behave this way and act this way and worship God in this way. So that's one, that's one of the barrels. You'd go, well, no wonder they thought that. Joshua chapter two. Oh, this thing. Oh, I missed it. I have a joke, a Bible joke. If you didn't read it, who, who has the fewest amount of parents in the Bible? Anyone know? Joshua, the son of none. Get it? Brunch. And Joshua, the son of none, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Sorry, I don't know why I paused there. I apologize. Because <laughs> I guess a couple weeks ago, I actually did have that word in the text that I, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, from Shittim as spies saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Who's Rahab? Rahab is uh, a Canaanite. Canaanites were like the, the arch enemy of, of the Israelites. And what happens in Joshua is Rahab helps some spies, and what happens? She gets brought in. They're like, hey, you should be part, you should be an Israelite. And she is. And a matter of fact, Rahab ends up being in the genealogy of Jesus. Right? This is a big deal. So it's not like an ethnic thing, like a like a bloodline thing. She becomes an Israelite. She jumps into that, into that ship. Again, very similar, Ruth, uh, but Elimelech. Again, I'm not getting into the context here. I'm just pointing out some, some issues, some, not issues, some points and barrels here. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she left her two, her two sons, and these took Moabite wives, different ethnic group, the Moabites. And the name of one was Orpha, and the other one was Ruth. Ruth also makes it into the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. Meaning, if we get our DNA little charts out, right, Jesus Actually, he's only like 13.5% Hebrew, okay? It's not about the, my bloodline. It's about being an Israelite, and they're reading it that way. You gotta get in my boat. These are the barrels we see. Clearly, you gotta get in this boat. Israel's the life raft. That's what's going on. How should they have been reading the Bible, right? Because the clues are all over the place, right? That, that lifeboat now is flipped upside down. Their heritage and what God of the Bible is saying, it's got nothing to do 
with your ethnicity. It's got nothing to do with who your great granddad was. It has everything to do with who you are. And if you think even works are gonna save you, you've missed the point. It has everything to do with who I am and my goodness and my salvation that I offer you. It has everything to do with the promises of God. We see this very early in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. God is making his covenant with Abram. Abraham is gonna change his name. Now the Lord said to Abram, go away from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right, that was the first indicator that these barrels aren't just markers for you gotta join me, you gotta join me, you gotta join me, you gotta be in my boat. It should have been an indicator that, whoa, we're supposed to be blessing other people. There's, some, there's something else going on here, not just about being an Israelite, but being of all, all people, all nations. Let's look at some specific examples. Genesis chapter 14, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Again, a lot of context going on here, but Abraham is saving his, his uh, nephew, Lot. Uh, he's, he's captured, and, and so he's going back out. And after he, ca- he recaptures him, and, and there's this big celebration, this random guy, I mean random, Genesis chapter 14, we read about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, Psalm 110, uh, and, then, and then Hebrews chapter seven and eight, and that's it. This random guy, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. Notice that. He's a priest of the God most high. It doesn't say, in the Hebrew, he's a, he's a priest of Yahweh. He doesn't, doesn't use the covenant name of God for the Israelites. It's a different name. Melchizedek knows who the creator of the universe is and worships him. He's a priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, blessed be Abram by God most high possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Another example in Genesis chapter 15 says, as for you, this is God again speaking to Abraham, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What? It's it's a weird tagline, like little little tag on that God says to Abraham in his final blessing, you're gonna die this old man to the fourth generation, they're gonna come back here to this land, but he says, but why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In in other words, Yahweh's saying, he's got something else worked out with the Amorites. There's something else on the side going here that we just don't have a barrel for. No, it hasn't been written down in scripture. There's other people involved. Another example of this is in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, this is Moses' father-in-law. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Skipping to verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron, who's the high priest of Israel, came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. That doesn't make any sense in the storyline of the Bible. This is when you go back through the lens of Jesus of now knowing the end of the story, going back and go, oh, 
look at this. It was always about all people. It's always, I always see dead people. That works. This works. And they missed that. They still miss this. Not to mention kings, uh, Gentile kings, Darius, and Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, who work to the benefit of the Israelites. The, how about the Ninevites with Jonah? Jonah, right? So all by the way, all get spit up and he preaches. You gotta repent. And the whole nation, right? The whole city of Nineveh. Yeah, we gotta repent, man. Well, who are they worshiping? Who do they repent to? God, right? It's all over the place. We just gotta, gotta look for it. Now let's get back to our text, right? So that's, again, maybe spend a little bit too much time. That's how we read our Bible, right? That's how we left to right chronologically, but man, I gotta interpret everything now through the lens of Jesus Christ. Changes everything. Context is king. When we get into this passage in Romans, verse 13 says this, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. I can take that verse, I can cut it out of there, I can put it on a coffee mug, and I can go, all of you need to do stinking better. Right, you, you, you don't, you, I'm, you're hearing, right? You got ears, you're hearing, now do it. Go do it. That's not what Paul's talking about. Now, to be fair, James says this. <laughs> James in 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. What's going on? What's the difference here? Context. Context. Because what we know Paul is talking about, that if I'm a hearer of the word and even if I'm a doer of the word, I'm still damned. Even if I do it to the best I possibly can and I obey it perfectly, I still fall short of the glory of God. I can't do it, whether I was given the law or I don't have the law. It counts for nothing. What's James talking about? In context here, James, though, is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about the fancy word of justification. I'm being justified as if I've never, been, I've never sinned. He's talking about what we call, and what theologians will call sanctification. This process by which now I live, now that I'm saved, I'm in Christ, now I live a certain way. Not because it's gonna make me look better to God or he's gonna love me more or I'm gonna be better than you. No, 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 no. I, I now get to obey the word. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks uh, intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. Okay, he's saying, don't, don't read the Bible and then walk away from it and, and, and not be changed. Right? There's some transformation that happens. That's not what Paul's talking about. But that's why we gotta grasp the text in their word. So, law. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. When it comes to salvation, what is the law good for? When it comes to salvation, when it comes to justification, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Law, I'm not talking about you. Just, you know. <laughs> What's it good for? Nothing. When it comes to justification, it's worthless. Now, Paul's gonna get into this, right? We don't have time because well, we're going through this book for the next couple years. We're gonna get into, then what was the purpose of the law? Did the law fail? Did the covenant of God fail? Paul's gonna go, no. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there, not, not today. Douglas Moo, commentary says this, as we saw in chapter one, law, in Romans uh, refers first of all to the law God gave Israel through Moses, the Torah. Again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In verse 12, therefore, all who sin apart from the law are Gentiles, and all who sin under the law are Jews. 
For only Jews stand under the law, the Greek literally, in the sphere of the law. Nevertheless, Paul alleges the result for both groups is the same. And so again, keeping with that way of thinking about verse 12, let's go and look at verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Again, he's saying nobody can do. Nobody can do it. It's his whole point. Stay in the bike. You gotta keep going through this. We're all sinners. For when Gentiles who do not have a law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law of themselves even though they do not have the law. What's he saying, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago that the law has been written on our hearts. Specifically, the next verse is gonna say that. That there's something innate about humanity that knows killing and murder is wrong. Right? There's, there's a lot of things. I don't care what culture you're from, it's not okay. There's, there's all these kinds of, of, of aspects that, that is written on our human heart that we have these laws that just are, are wrong, but even our conscience, our conscience, excuse me, it tells us how we think we ought to live, right? We now as humans have the knowledge of good and evil. We know what is right and wrong, but we want to choose what's right and wrong for ourselves. And even though we get to choose for ourselves, we still fall short of our own law. That's what Paul's saying. By nature, they do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the Mosaic law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. Right? This is what happens. My conflicting thought, well, well, I guess I'm okay. I did this thing. I know I probably shouldn't lie to my spouse, even though I'm not a Christian. I'm not like a follower of like a, that weird law thing in the Bible, but I know I probably shouldn't commit adultery. Right? There's something here. Something's not right. And it's going to accuse me or I'm going to excuse me. Ah, no, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. Right? No, no, no. Paul's saying, nope, nope, nope. All bad. All not good. Again, Douglas Moose says this, his purpose would then be to show that, through, that though Gentiles have not been given God's law in a specific form of Torah, they nevertheless have knowledge of God's moral requirements. They may, not even, they may not have the Mosaic law, but they do have law, moral demand that God puts in the consciousness, uh, yeah, consciousness of every human being. Once again, Paul levels the playing field between the Jew and the Greek. So what in the world? What do we get out of this text? What's the point? Is, it, I mean, is the point then like, okay, I shouldn't trust in my heritage to be saved? Is, is the point like, okay, uh, I don't trust in my heritage, but I guess I'm doomed anyway, so what's the point? The last verse here of this text, verse 16, says, on that day, when according to my gospel, what does gospel mean? Just means the good news. Evangelion is the fancy Greek word, the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that there was a God who created humanity in his perfect image, right? That's why we don't make idols. That's why we don't bow down to images because we are the images of God. We, we are that. He makes us in his image and we used to be perfect and then we chose to sin. We, we chose to flip off God and say, nope, I'm gonna do my way. I want autonomy. God, you don't tell me what to do. Not even, don't even eat of that tree. You don't do that. I'm the boss of me. And we do this every day in our lives. And we do that and we're, 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 we live in sin. And then God says, okay, now the only possible way that I can get my image bearers back with me is if I save them. 
They can't save themselves. It has to be me. So God writes himself into the story as Christ Jesus. And he lives the perfect life that we as humans can't live. He dies for us. We put our faith in him and only through faith, only by faith, not by my works, not by being a good person, not by going to church, not by whatever. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's Paul's whole argument here. According to that gospel that Paul teaches over and over and over, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What's going on here? R.C. Sproul says this. The apostle is introducing a new element to the discussion. Not only will there be a last judgment, not only will that judgment be on the basis of the justice of God, but the judgment will be through Jesus Christ. This fact that Jesus will serve as the judge of all men is in keeping with the Old Testament portrait of the Son of Man who is established by God to be the judge of all the earth. Another way we can read this as R.C. Sproul just says, that not just being judged by Christ Jesus, but another way that we can interpret that is through Christ Jesus. How is this good news? So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be judged What's this mean? When the righteous wrath, which we've already talked about wrath in previous sermons, and the wrath and the righteous wrath of God the Father is being poured out through Jesus, I need to know that it's through Jesus. If it's only God pouring out his wrath on me, I'm doomed. I need it to be through Christ as my elder brother, as the one who took my place on the cross, as the one who died and lived a perfect life that I couldn't live, I I need it to be through him. If it's not through him, I'm toast. It needs to be through Christ. And so when I think I'm worthy of God's love, when I'm deserving of mercy, I need to be reminded of the gospel that I'm being judged through Christ, not by me or anything I've ever done. When I think that I'm unworthy of the love of God, undeserving of his mercy, I need to be reminded that I'm being judged through Jesus, that he loves us and died for us, that he is the judge. That's one, uh, one thing that my wife and I, we, man, I don't know, 13 years ago, we, we did a marriage retreat, something. I don't even know what we did. It was online back before it was cool. And, um, and we watched this thing, and I, and I remembered it was, it was a couple, and they were talking about complimenting one another. And, and if you're in uh, any kind of relationship, usually it's hard to, it's hard to receive compliments, um, right? Just yesterday, my, we're shoveling snow, and my wife's like, man, you look good in those snow pants. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, but she says this, and we say this to each other all the time, I, I'm the judge, right? I need, I, it's like, no, Brian, I, I get to tell you you look good right now. That's what Jesus does. He looks at us and we go, I'm unworthy. I don't look good. I'm disgusting. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the judge. You're not okay because of the way you do or what you did right or what you did wrong. You're okay because of me. It's through Jesus Christ. He is the judge. This is what compels us then to obey. This is what motivates us to obey. He is my judge, and he and he only is worthy to be my judge. He's worthy of honor and glory 
and praise. He's worthy of bending the knee to, like bending the knee, like bowing down as a king. I will do what you ask. And what Paul is trying to say here, this is not, he's not looking for a fear-based obedience. Don't just be a hearer, but a doer. Okay, because if you don't, you're in trouble. No, 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 you're gonna be judged through Christ. He loves you. He died for you. Oh, well, that changes my perspective. All right, again, that context, we gotta stay on the bike. It's only through Christ Jesus that we can be in his presence how can a just God allow anyone who is presence through Jesus Christ? He's so loving. And that inclines all believers to follow after him. So in gospel application, you will be judged, will you be judged through Christ or through your own obedience to the law? Obedience to the Torah or obedience to the law written on your heart, you will fall short. Will you be judged through Christ? What is your defense in the face of a just God, a just judge? And the answer is it better be Jesus. It better be through him because if it's not, again, there's no hope. He is the hope of the world who takes away the sins of the world. We sing a song, right? I worked my finger down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone, right? I grew up in the church. I was a good kid. I was a good person. Jesus had to show up and point out, hey, Brian, I didn't come to save those who don't need a physician. I come to save those who are sick, and I had to come to the realization that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God, regardless of my heritage of being a fourth-generation pastor. I don't know where fourth came from. I'm a third-generation pastor. Maybe fourth. I don't know who my great-granddad even was. Sure, we'll stick with fourth. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. It has nothing to do with my heritage. It has nothing to do with how good I am. It has everything to do with who Christ is. As we do every week uh, at Lower Town is we have communion. And this is just a simple time to remember what it is that Christ did. All we'd ask is that you would be a follower of Jesus. If you would say, yeah, I've bent the knee to Jesus. He is my king. I know that without him, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. I will be judged by my own merit when it comes to my salvation. And I can't do that. It's only through Christ that I can be judged and I need it to be through Christ. That's why we remember. And we take the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was poured out for us. And we take these and we remember the finished work and finished. I can't add to it. I can't take it away. It's the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so the worship team's gonna come back up. They're gonna play two songs. Um, and as they're playing, feel free to uh, grab the elements as you see fit. Again, you don't need to be a member of this church. You don't need to be a member of any church. But if you love Jesus and you wanna follow Jesus, we'd love to have partake of this meal with you. Um, and uh, they're gonna sing those songs, and as they do, uh, prepare your heart, uh, pray, repent, praise, worship, uh, all the things, and then as you see fit, feel free to stand and sing along and worship with the, with the team. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are seated on your throne, that someday, and even now, if we could see you on that throne, it would be terrifying. It would be terrifying to see the judge of all the earth sitting there, perfect and holy and demanding perfection and holiness because that's how you created us. That's our natural state. And yet we chose to destroy that when we decided to worship your creation rather than the creator. 
rather than you. So forgive us of that. And as we partake of these elements, I just pray that our hearts would just be inclined to worship you, knowing that we can only do that through Christ. And that someday you will judge the world. You will right all the wrongs. You will make everything sad come untrue. But until that moment, would we follow you and love you because of the finished work of Christ, because of the love that you have for us, that that would be our motivation to obey. We love you. We praise you for what you're doing and what you're about to do. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen.